0: Hey, welcome to Disclosure. You are listening to Sean Boonstra. At least the last time I checked my ID, that's who I was. And I'm in studio with my wife, Jean Boonstra. Pretty sure she's my wife, because I actually recently Hi. saw her. Yeah, I actually saw her wedding certificate. <laughs> I, we needed it because we we're in the process. Of becoming Americans. Yes, we
1: are. And when you apply for citizenship in a new country, every document definitely gets uh, pulled out of the filing cabinet and revisited. We had to
0: prove that we've been married. We had to prove it to the American government that we are indeed married. Mm -hmm. And it was a relief to find out we were.
1: We we were we are we have been for almost how long?
0: Twenty five years. Oh, you we're coming up test. on twenty five. <laughs> a quarter century. Can you imagine being married to me for? I'm trying to picture me married to me for twenty five years, and I don't think I could hack it.
1: I could. I could tell you a few stories.
0: You could. Uh huh. Yeah, it's. Not, I'm not easy to be married to. I'm really not.
1: Oh, I love being married to you. I wouldn't change it for anything.
0: Oh, that's very nice. You have Mm -hmm. to say that on the air, though, don't you? But
1: I say it off the air, too, and that's what counts.
0: Well, I think I hit the marriage jackpot. But I'm sure people didn't tune in today (laughs) to listen to me swoon over my wife. We are indeed married, but I went over the line to become an American first, and so I had a mail-order bride. I had this foreign wife, and it wasn't easy, folks. I need you to just understand. (laughs) It was not easy to be the American husband with a foreign wife. Uh, be very patient with Jean today. She's still learning American English um, in order to pass the interview. Th- You've already th- had your interview, though.
1: Yes, and I think you milk that joke, you know, to its <laughs> fullest possible extent foreign, while you could. <laughs> my foreign
0: wife. We have to hide my wife every time ICE is in, in the neighborhood. Oh, Sean, we hide you under the stairs. No, but you, been how was your, how was your interview, though? We, we we didn't get to do this together, folks. That's not the yeah. way that it works. We actually had different days and. Did you feel like you were in the judgment hour?
1: No, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. It's very interesting how this process works. We submitted our application together. I... Had my the first step first, then you, then well, you. Well, the first went ahead step was biometrics,
0: right? They take our picture, take our, finger take prints, our fingerprints, mug shots, mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. and I had mine about a week and a half before you. And yeah. then for some reason, you jumped ahead of me in the queue and you became an American first. Yep. But the the actual interview, no, it was great. I, it was very professional. I um, oh,
0: see, sp- but you're good at tests. It was it was you're easy. You're good at tests. I felt like I was back in school. Yeah. 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 Well, I
1: think I. I knew you in our university days. I was definitely the better student. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shh. Don't tell everybody that.
0: Don't t- you actually spent a lot more time working on school than I did. Yes, I did. I had some grades that I richly deserved.
1: Well, but the thing was, most of the time, your grades were the same as mine, and I worked twice as hard. That never felt right.
0: Oh, you know what? Thank you for saying that on the year. Well, it's I'm going to take you for dinner for saying that. No, I also, you know, I used to brag to my, remember, I've told the kids, and they're old enough, they're not listening to this anyway. I used to tell them, look, I had a 4.5 one year, a 4.5 GPA. (laughs) And they're, wow, dad, how did you get a 4.5? The secret was that I went to the University of Victoria, which had a nine-point scale, yes, not a four-point scale. scale. <laughs> yeah, so it was really a, a solid C+, plus, but it was a 4.5 oh, that year. Yeah. yeah, Good thing it was one of those would-you-like-fries-with-it degrees, right? Like a yeah. political science, economics, philosophy. Yeah. My apologies to all the political science majors out there, but really what, you know, I'm qualified to run a drive-through. Yeah. That's what I'm qualified to well,
1: do. Well, my degree was not a whole lot better, but you know well, at least know what? it was
0: history. It's, it's useful history. In, in, mm-hmm. in Bible stuff. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we didn't gather here to... Um, To talk about college because that brings back painful memories. I still have those nightmares in the middle of the night. Do you have this one? It's the first day of class. You have your timetable in your hand and you can't find your classroom.
1: Oh, no. I haven't had that one in many, many years. Or you
0: will now. Now (laughs) that you
1: bring it up, I will. I still have the nightmare where a paper's due tomorrow and I haven't even started the research. That, that Uh, yeah. Everybody in the control room is nodding for that one. You get the one where
0: you show up in school and it's, and you know, I get this one all the time. I know I'm looking for calculus class mm-hmm. and I haven't been to class all year and I know I haven't been and it's the final exam day. Oh. And I'm going to have to wing the exam. You're
1: just remembering your university days. That's not a dream.
0: That actually did happen. <laughs> actually i took latin and greek one time and i didn't realize halfway through the year that they had switched from latin to greek and i showed up because i knew there's a midterm and i was all ready for the latin midterm oh no it was a greek latin midter- i couldn't even read the questions i think you deserved that one. i couldn't read the questions and i started copying and pasting analog okay the answers must be this is not advanced greek so the answer must be on the sheet somewhere i got a i got a d minus
1: yeah you probably deserved it
0: yeah i, I really mm-hmm. did yeah. i really did now mm-hmm. Since I became a Christian, history mattered to me. I actually started getting better grades. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I actually did. But we didn't yeah. gather to talk about that no, or our marriage we or didn't. the. Right. No. Or,
1: we have a really important topic today, Sean. Yes, we do. Uh, we are going to talk about money.
0: Yes, I'm Dutch. Money. So that's one of my favorite topics.
1: But, you know, it is a spiritual topic in the broad scheme of all of the spiritual topics we could grapple with for the next hour. Um, why did we choose this, Sean?
0: Well, probably precisely for the reason you just mentioned in your question. Uh, we, we we don't think of money as a Christian topic a lot right. of the times. We think the topic is kind of disagreeable. Oh, we'll talk about that if we have to. Um, because to a Christian's way of thinking, oh, money is worldly. Uh, prayer and Bible study, that's what we should talk about. That's spiritual, but money is worldly, so we don't really want to spend much time on that. Um, And we probably get that attitude from the fact that the Bible has really stern warnings on how Christians ought to relate to money. Like like this one. You probably remember this one from the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus in Matthew 6, verse 24. Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon Mm. is the Aramaic word for wealth. You Mm -hmm. cannot serve God and wealth. Or this one, Matthew 19. Again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. So a lot of people take those warnings, and those are real warnings. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to spend time looking at what those warnings are about. But because Jesus has such sort of stern warnings, we come to the conclusion that Christians should have nothing to do with money, which would be a really nice theory if we could actually move <laughs> into utopia. Right? Sure. Let's all move to utopia in this lifetime before the second coming and the new earth is here. But it's not realistic. Money is a part of life, and anything that is a part of life is fair game for the Christian to examine. How do I walk in the footsteps of Jesus? So mm-hmm. we might be destined for the kingdom, but in the meantime, we are still living here in this present world. You cannot escape how life works.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just not realistic. So the answer then is to look through the Bible and figure out how Christians relate to money and how that's different from a worldly mindset. Um, Sean, what we need to do is determine by how our perspective is different because we're followers of Jesus. Yeah, exactly. and.
0: Mm-hmm. and um... And before going back to heaven, this is exactly what Jesus prayed for, that we would have the wisdom to continue living in this world while being acutely aware of the fact that we're not actually part of this world. So we're in the world, but not of it. Here's what Jesus says in John 17. This is the real Lord's Prayer where you get to listen to Jesus talk to his Father. I do not pray, this is verse 15, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Mm -hmm. In other words, we belong here for the time being, And there's a purpose that Christians are still in this world. Verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So in Jesus, we have this example. He wasn't afraid to leave his glorious existence in the courts of heaven to become one of us and actually come live in this place. He gave up unimaginable benefits and glory to become one of us. He experienced humanity to its absolute fullest. Jesus, as you read the record, he's hungry, tired, lonely. People mocked him, made fun of him. The Bible says he went through every experience that we go through, but he did it without sinning. Right. So Jesus was in this world, and he was like us. He was one of us, but at the same time, he's radically different. Mm-hmm. He operated by a completely different set of principles. The Bible says he actually kept his Father's commandments, mm-hmm. where you and I have not done that well. We have not done that perfectly. Right. so here's our example jesus is in the world but not of it and he is the prime example for all christians and jesus says if we love him we're going to choose to live by the same principles he lives by john 15 verse 10 if you keep you know this one if you keep yes. my commandments, commandments you will abide in my love just as i have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love so we're mm-hmm. being invited to spend time uh examining the the lifestyle of Jesus, the way he chose to live in this world not be of it, and model ourselves after that. So here's the challenge that you and I have. We need to figure out how Jesus relates to everything. He lived here as one of us. So if I get made fun of mm-hmm. before I react, I need to ask myself, well, how would Jesus react to that? Right, it's the old... Right. Remember what would, the what yeah, would Jesus there's a, do on gra-
1: that great old bo- old book? What would Jesus do? It's a wonderful principle.
0: That wasn't called, that wasn't the name of the book. That was Charles no, Sheldon in his Ch- in his steps. In his steps. But what, the, would was was re- yeah. yeah. what would Jesus do was sort of a question that you ask yourself. What would Jesus do in this? So, what we need to do is look at the fact that the perfect Son of God came to live in this world, mm-hmm. and then use that as an example for how we're going to live. Now, sometimes it's easy. Jesus gets explicit. He spells it out. Right? Don't do this, do this. Do not, you know, if you have something against your brother, if you're angry at someone, go to them before sundown and and resolve it. Sometimes it's really obvious what you have to do, but Mm -hmm. other times it's not spelled out quite so explicitly. So for example, there's nothing in the Bible about internet usage. (laughs) True. Because it didn't exist. So what you have to do in that case is look for the principles behind the statements that you find in the Bible, and then use godly wisdom and some prayer to Mm -hmm. learn to apply those same principles into uh, modern living. So, Mm -hmm. good example. When it comes—well, this is a 20-year-old example now. You know, I'm thinking of Napster. When it comes to the ethics of downloading music or videos or movies from the Internet, you're not going to find a statement anywhere in the Bible that says, you shall not download file transfer software like what were some of the ones in the day Napster, yeah. LimeWire, some of those file transfer you shall not download it and download music if you did not pay for it or own the rights to it. Nowhere in the Bible. Absolutely mm-hmm. nowhere in the Bible because obviously the internet didn't exist in public life until the 1990s. Right. 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 Which mm-hmm. boggles our children's mind.
1: <laughs> right. right. Yeah.
0: Really, Dad? You yeah. had to go to the library on your bicycle when you had to write a paper? Yes, yeah. I did. And
1: then you had to stand and thumb through the uh, card catalog to find a book. It's very tedious.
0: Card catalogs. <laughs> you still love card catalogs, oh, don't I do. you? You yes. would love a card catalog in the house. I, I bet would. your libraries are actually throwing those things out.
1: No, I think people collect them because they're antiques now. That dates uh. us, doesn't it?
0: Well, you know, it was illegal. You couldn't just go to the library and photocopy the whole book and be done with it. We all understood that. Then the internet came along, and it didn't seem as tangible, did it? Mm, Oh, that song's just there for the taking. Somebody ripped it. None of that is in the Bible. Mm. But what we do have is a commandment that says, Thou shalt not steal. So there's your principle. There you go. And there's a lot of instruction in the Bible when it comes to theft, right? Mm, And so from the data that's... Data or data?
1: Uh, I think both are acceptable.
0: You can weigh in. Write my wife and tell me whether you say data or data.
1: (laughs) Well, that's the Canadian in us coming in. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, the Canadian in you. Don't forget, I'm an American. (laughs) (laughs) Sean. All right. So – from the data that's available in the Bible, there's easily enough material in the scriptures, in the teachings of Jesus, to help you navigate the issue. You could come to the right biblical conclusion, but your job is to go back to the first century where Jesus is speaking in and take those principles and bring them up to date into our day and age. So when it comes mm-hmm. to downloading music off the internet, mm-hmm. okay, it's not mentioned there. But there's mm-hmm. no question that thou shalt not steal does cover that. Right, does cover right,
1: that. Right, right. It, it sounds like you're talking about intellectual property yes, in general. Yes,
0: I am. Yeah. I see we're going to come up against a break, but that's one of the biggest bugaboos I've got. Because we live in a world where you and I produce media, and mm-hmm. I find it frustrating that Christians haven't always dealt with this subject particularly well. So is downloading stuff without permission a form of theft? Yes, it is. But I hear the music, and that is music we actually own. We did not download that music <laughs> from Napster. We actually own that... Um, But let's take a little break. I think we've got a great offer for people from the Voice of Prophecy, don't we? We've got like a Bible study. We always do. Yep. It's always a great offer, and I hope it's your beautiful voice that's giving the offer here in a minute. When we come back, let's pick that up, Gene, where we were and talk about intellectual property and the matter of copying and downloading and how Christians should relate to that. So we're going to take a little break, and then we will be right back after this.
2: Are you searching for answers to life's toughest questions like, Where is God when we suffer? Can I find real happiness? Or is there any hope for our chaotic world? The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home there is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. Find answers in guides like, Does my life really matter to God? and A second chance at life. You'll find answers to the things that matter most to you in each of the 26 Discover Bible Guides. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions.
0: And we are back from the break. I've been in the corner doing my vocal exercises. Me, 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 me.
1: And I don't hear Morgan Freeman. I still hear oh, no, you.
0: No, no, no. I sound amazing now. Oh, my voice okay. is down an octave and I sound like, <laughs> you know, did you ever, have you ever seen that thing that was going around on the internet a while ago saying how to become a, a, a voice actor? No. Know, you know, funny. take coaching, do training, go mm-hmm. to an audition, and then get a letter explaining they gave the part to Morgan Freeman. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's about it. <laughs> He's got a great voice.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's
1: it. Oh. Well, Sean, um, we're talking about money in yep. the Bible, yep. important topic for filthy Christians. Filthy lucre. We're
0: talking about filthy no, lucre no. no. We're talking.
1: We're talking about something that's a part of our daily lives, whether right. we like it or not. Right. And before the break, you were going to talk to us a little bit about intellectual property. Yeah, I Let's know. Let's go because, back
0: there. You know, that's a personal bugaboo that i'm working into the show today this is one of the biggest frustrations that christian ministries face in today's world and i'm not just talking the voice of prophecy and disclosure i'm talking about everybody and it's on topic today because one of the areas christians probably need to do a little soul searching in this day and age is the whole area of intellectual property is that real property does it belong to somebody else Mm -hmm. Uh, does thou shalt not steal apply here I mean, most of us are pretty clear that it's wrong to break into your neighbor's house and steal the cash out of their cookie jar. At least I hope as a Christian that's pretty clear, right? Yeah,
1: that one's pretty straightforward. Right.
0: It's wrong to put on a ski mask and go knock over the local 7-Eleven. That would be wrong. We're pretty clear on that, but we're not always so clear when it comes to digital and intellectual assets. Somehow, because they exist in cyberspace or on a hard drive, we don't think of them as real.
2: Mm-hmm. So
0: mm-hmm. even though most Christian ministries out there make the resources available for sale, I'm shocked at how many Christians still go cruising the Internet looking for an illegal copy, and they download it and use it without any qualms. They just yeah. oh, I just found this on YouTube, and I took it.
1: Yeah, you know, it happens. And, you know, I'm thinking, Sean— A lot of people probably really aren't thinking it through. They see a great video. They want to share it with their friends, maybe on social media. And because the gospel, you know, it's supposed to be free, they don't really think anything about it because it's all for the Lord's work, right? We've heard that before. Um, So they just download it and share it, thinking it's a great witnessing tool.
0: Right, right. Well, hey, salvation is free. The Bible's clear about that. But the messaging of the gospel isn't free. And most people, when I call them on this, are saying, hey, where did you get that? Did you just rip that? They say, but pastor, I wanted to share it. I mean, mm-hmm. I've, that's actually happened to yeah. me, but I want to share this. Right. Um, and most people weren't doing it maliciously. They just weren't thinking it through.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So how does that then constitute theft? Well, it's
0: really pretty simple. Most ministries, like this one, are nonprofit organizations. They have to work very hard to raise money and create those gospel resources. Now, yep. most people out there have no idea what it costs to produce that stuff. You have to pay cameramen. You have to pay producers, although we don't pay anybody in the control booth here. They're just kind of (laughs) chained to the desk, and we throw them dog biscuits once in a while. But other than that...
1: Those guys work really hard. Yeah. Long, long hours.
0: But you got to pay them. You have to license the artwork. If it's a video, all the artwork you see in there was created by an artist. It's licensed. The music is licensed. There are all kinds of considerations at play. Even mm-hmm. publishing a book costs a, a, a small fortune. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. for example, let's say a ministry makes a great video about the evidence for a creator, and uh, some Christian out there sees it, gets very excited about it, so he finds a copy on YouTube that was uploaded illegally. He downloads it, he puts it on his own web page, or he burns copies of it and gives it away. Yeah. Is that problematic? Well, yeah. Here, here's the first problem. There's artwork in that video. Mm-hmm. And the way mm-hmm. that artists work is they don't sell you those graphics or music. They license it to the ministry, right? Mm-hmm. You can use this art this way for this fee. Uh, that art is the artist's intellectual property, and the license granted to a given ministry or an institution specifies exactly how it can and cannot be used. Right? There might even be royalties involved. Every time that appears on television, the ministry has to pay X amount for every you know time it appears or every thousand copies sold.
1: And, and many musicians, this is their livelihood. That's
0: their livelihood, yes. right? So, mm-hmm. no problem, the ministry understands the value of good production in today's world, and they sign the contract. But mm-hmm. then the church member just sees the stuff and takes it without paying for it. And what happens? The artist gets cheated. It's stealing, as you just mentioned, their livelihood. Yeah. And even if it's for ministry, the Bible is crystal clear that people who work for the Lord have a right to make their living that way if that's what they're doing. Paul makes that crystal clear. Mm-hmm. If you want to go and look it up, 1 Timothy 5.18, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Um, it's clear that those people deserve to make a living if that's what they do for a living. Mm-hmm. So everybody in this scenario is living by the terms of a legal contract. The artist, the musician, the cameraman, the ministry, the one except for one person who's not living by the terms of the agreement, and that's the person who just takes the stuff and then what happens is the ministry has to go to youtube and twitter and file a complaint and have it taken down and the church member gets bent out of shape because oh the ministry was being heavy-handed and they don't believe in sharing the gospel well of course they believe in sharing the gospel that's why they produce that resource in the first place Mm -hmm. but what Mm -hmm. the ministry is doing in that situation is putting a stop to theft it's theft Mm -hmm. and they're honoring their contractual obligations so first problem is you're stealing a living from the artist.
1: Well, and Sean, too, when, when someone in the ministry needs to take the time to go and pursue with YouTube, it takes a lot of time. And that's time that could have been spent on sharing the yeah. gospel and instead is, is dealing with that's a side absolutely. issue.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I've had to do it. I've had to go yeah. and take it off YouTube. And everyone Ta- gets mad. Why would you take it down? You don't believe in sharing? No. I believe in being honest and paying mm-hmm. the artist the way that we agreed to pay for yeah, it. Yeah, that's and, right. Uh,
1: there so. are many layers to it. Yeah. So that was the first problem is there another one?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Let's say a ministry raises $200,000 to produce a fantastic resource for the church. And I know a lot of people say, $200,000. Most people have no idea what it takes to make a a TV show, right? right. The only way uh, that a ministry can produce another great resource like that is to recoup some of the costs from the people who are using it. It would be lovely if we lived in a world where people sent in so much money that I could give everything away for free. Now, if that happened... Praise the Lord, I would find a way to make that happen. Sure. But that's not reality. So that's why the ministry generally sells it instead of giving it away, because they have to stay in business. They've got people to pay. They've got to produce more resources. And if a well-meaning Christian just rips that DVD and puts it up on YouTube, what they did was help make sure that's the last video that ministry ever produces. Mm-hmm. I know. I know we think we, you know, we think we, everything ought to be free uh, Bibles should be free, books should be free, videos should be free, but that's not real. It's not the real world.
1: Mm-hmm. No. So if a Christian sees something and they want to share it, they want to use it as a witnessing tool, there is a way to make it free to those that they're witnessing tool. If we really like something as a Christian, all we have to do is we purchase it. And then we can give it away. Yeah, absolutely. You want yeah. it to be
0: free, buy it and give it away. Right. That's, it's a real simple solution. And it's amazing how many people never seem to think of that option. Now, yeah. on the other hand, I'm always encouraged when people contact me and they say, hey, can I make copies of this? At least they're honest enough to ask for permission. <laughs> right. And most of those people understand why they can't when we explain, look, I'm bound by contracts too, and and uh, and I can't violate copyright law. Not as a Christian, I can
1: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Sean, why don't we get back to the topic of money itself? We'll never get around
0: to
2: it. (laughs) We've
1: got a lot to cover. Um, Clearly, theft is wrong because it's an illicit gain. It's the wrong way for a Christian to operate. I think that's pretty clear. Let's talk about money itself and some of the general principles that are associated with it. Good.
0: Yeah. A lot of Christians have this uneasy feeling about money because they've always been told money is the root of all evil, which Mm -hmm. is not what the Bible actually says. You can search it cover to cover. It doesn't say that. What it says, and this is in 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil.
1: Which is very different. Right. Money
0: itself is not evil. It's not even capable of being evil. It's an inanimate object. But the love of money is where the problem is. It's kind of like Jesus says, you know, mammon. Wealth isn't the problem, it's whether you serve mammon is the problem, mm-hmm. right? The The problem, the real problem is when you make an idol out of wealth. The real problem happens when you gear your life, a life that the Christian believes that God owns, in the wrong direction. You're using this life that God has laid claim to for something that isn't you know, for God. Money mm-hmm. in and of itself it can't be evil, it's just a medium of exchange. Somewhere mm-hmm. way back in the distant past, somebody decided that a barter system is a very inefficient way to do business, right? Let's say I have three cows mm-hmm. and I only need two and I might want to trade you one cow for one sheep. You have lots of sheep and I want wool and you want milk. Uh-huh. Barter system. and it works, right? right? But what if you don't want my cow and I uh-huh. want wool? Well, I might offer you a chicken. Well, maybe Jean wants eggs, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And Or I might offer you firewood. But if you don't want my cow and you don't want my eggs or my firewood, I got a problem. I can't get the wool. So somebody decided way back when, and this is really a simplistic way of thinking about it. But somebody decided way back when, if we had a medium of exchange, something we could all agree on has value, mm-hmm. then we could use it to trade for things we really needed. So you might not want my firewood, my eggs, or my milk, but you do want my money because you, my money will, well, let you buy the shoes that you want.
1: You, you picked shoes randomly, right?
0: Just out of thin That's air I because thought. I am not married to <laughs> Imelda Marcos, not <laughs> no, even not a little bit. Yeah, no. no, when we move. I think the last I remember one time filling up three garbage bags full of shoes which you know, seemed I'm appropriate a lot better nowadays. Yeah, you are, right. Much I have better. I have two pairs of shoes. <laughs> but you're have, a guy. Yeah. Come on. Do I do have cowboy boots.
2: Yeah, you have two right.
0: pairs of cowboys. So, hey, medium of exchange. In and of itself it's an in, in, in I have. Yes, I do have two pairs of cowboy boots. Yeah. <laughs> I just
1: had to throw that out there. All right.
0: In and of itself it's an innocuous thing. Money right. money's just a way to exchange goods. But then we discovered something else. Not only was money a lot easier to take to the marketplace, right? I could put the money in my pocket. Can't put a cow in your pocket. No, but you could right. put it very convenient. But it also means it's a lot easier to hoard. Mm-hmm. If I try to hoard milk or eggs. Uh, it doesn't work. No, I'm going to have a problem because about three days into the, you know, it's July and you're trying to hoard milk. Uh, that's not going to go so well <laughs> in the Middle Ages. <laughs> no. So. Um, but gold and silver don't go bad. They're really easy to store. And you have the sure. situation where it becomes easier to store up far more than you're ever going to need. Mm-hmm. And we'll probably look at a, a story like that um, a little bit later on today's episode.
2: Okay.
0: Uh, but what happens is we end up moving away from a situation where we actually are relying on God for our daily bread, right? Our, our daily living, uh-huh. where we can honestly say to Jesus, give us this day our daily bread and be thankful for the things that we have. Mm -hmm. What happens is we start hoarding and we become more and more reliant on ourselves. And what we're doing is creating a false sense of security. It can become a form of declaring independence from God.
2: Mm.
1: And this storing up, it of course reminds me of Jesus' story of the rich man in his barns. Yeah, absolutely. Let's
0: take a look at that because Luke chapter 12 has a lot to say about the way Christians relate to personal wealth, um, but let's go to the whole chapter. Let's back okay. up before Luke, that chapter parable. 12, right? Yeah, Luke chapter twelve. Okay. We'll look at the broader context, um, and we'll probably spend the back half of this program dealing with this entire chapter because this is a this is a great spot. This is ground zero for Christians and wealth. This Fantastic. entire chapter, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I, I doubt we'd be able to even cover this whole thing in in the remainder of this program. We're probably barely going to scrape the surface. There are all kinds of things we could probably explore today. Topics like dishonesty, greed, gambling, giving, tithing, taxation. I've got this feeling we're probably going to spend more than one show on filthy lucre and mammon. <laughs> but I, um, you
1: know, I think we should, Sean. Let's plan on a few shows.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. I think we should talk about money because I don't have any, and so I'm an expert on what I don't have. Now, you know, God has been good to us. He, I'm not. He's gonna, taking care of us. Yeah. yeah. Um, What we're going to do is start with the underlying principles, but I see again that I have chatted past – you wasted all that time on my cowboy boots, and now we're (laughs) out of time in this segment – If you would just stop being so chatty on the show. Oh, I know.
1: It's a problem. Uh, I
0: know. You talk Mm -hmm. so much on the show. I know. Uh, What we're going to do is we're probably going to run out of time. And in some markets, you might find us, you know, the station moving on to another program. That's okay. Come to voiceofprophecy.com and you can get the rest of this episode where we go to Luke chapter 12 Mm -hmm. and download it as a podcast. I think we're also in iTunes. Look for Disclosure. Um, but get your Bible in the break, too. We're going to take a look at Luke chapter 12, where we're going to find some of the underlying principles for how Christians ought to think about money, how we ought to relate to personal wealth, and uh, how we feel secure in this world. So that'll be Luke chapter 12. You're listening to Disclosure. My name is Sean Boonstra, the the host. I was going to say the luminary of this show, but that would be you, wouldn't it? With your shiny teeth back from the dentist, the bright They are really pretty teeth. Thank you. You've got very nice teeth.
1: Yeah, you paid for them, so they should be.
0: Yeah. (laughs) One of these days, I'm going to ask you out. That's what I think I'm going to do. Hey, we'll be back in just a moment, grab a pen and paper, and take advantage of this offer. Creation. Evolution. Where did the world come from? Where did you come from? Were you created in an instant? Did you evolve from another animal or life species? These are issues that are discussed in classrooms, textbooks, and sometimes around your break table at work when the conversation suddenly turns serious. These kinds of questions are answered in our free Discover Bible guides. These 26 beautifully illustrated guides cover all the major themes of the Bible, and they answer some of the hardest questions of life. You can get your free copy just for the asking by contacting me, go to vop.com, and click on the tab that says study. That's vop.com, the tab that says study, or phone me, 888-456-7933. That's 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides available just for the asking. Well, we have a new season, but we didn't have a new advertisement for that spot. I <laughs> saw them laughing back there. They went to go get the Sean's voice cracks spot. You were laughing so scar. hard, you almost splattered sp- water all, I all over, just over the table. To <laughs> spit water on the down. phone me. Like, oh my word! <laughs> oh. I think God has ways of keeping everybody humble. And yeah. uh, mine is my voice. I I need to take some vocal coaching. We were going to look at Luke chapter 12 right before the yes. break. right? Yes. In yes. Luke chapter 12, we have this situation where a man approaches Jesus with a very real problem. Uh, and this problem is probably going to seem familiar to a lot of people who are listening today. So let's start in Luke chapter 12 and verse 13. Okay. Right. Then one from the crowd said to him. So there's a bunch of people around Jesus and somebody suddenly speaks. Okay. Then one from the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Mm -hmm. So back in those days, you've got this law. And the law says when a man dies, his estate goes on to his sons. We still do that today. Everybody gets an equal share according to the law, except for the oldest son who gets a double portion. You find that back in Deuteronomy chapter 21. So. That in itself is a, a, an interesting study. Why would the firstborn get a double portion? Well, first, personally, as a firstborn son, I think it's he because he's just more worthy. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> You're a firstborn too, just yeah, not but a son. I'm a daughter. So. You're a daughter, so yes. you get nothing. You get nothing. <laughs> All right, we'll leave that for another day. Yeah. That's Please a whole write your other complaint topic. letters. <laughs> write your complaint letters to Gene Boonstra Box nine 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 Loveland Colorado. It's
1: amazing All how right. few of those I get.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. because this show is just bubbling with awesome. <laughs> All right, the The point of this story in Luke chapter 12 is somehow this boy gets cheated, right? right Dad dies, right. his brother takes the whole inheritance. Mm-hmm. Now, here's what we probably need to notice. This guy has a legitimate grievance. There's nothing in his story that suggests he's asking Jesus for something illegal. This isn't a shady deal, right? He's asking for something that's probably his. This is probably a legitimate complaint.
1: Yeah. And you know, Sean, I think many of us, probably some of our listeners have been in this exact situation, but I think many of us would probably be tempted if we had the opportunity, wouldn't we, with a situation like this to ask Jesus if we could? um i mean from our point of view from their point of view he's a teacher he's a rabbi he's a moral expert so it's sort of understandable that he would approach jesus to ask him for exactly
0: i'd be tempted to do the same thing hey i got ripped off i'm going to go talk to jesus about this but here comes his answer in verse 14 this is very very surprising listen to this verse 14 this is luke chapter 12 but he that's jesus said to him man Who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Hmm. In other words, Jesus is telling him, look, that's not the point of my ministry. This is not why I came to this earth. I'm not here to settle personal disputes that are almost entirely based on a worldly system of belief. I mean,
1: if if he did, that would have been all he did. uh, yeah. Yeah, and
0: one of the biggest mistakes we make Uh, One of the ways we go wrong is when we make Jesus ministry about things that it's not. And we start co-opting Jesus for our own personal issues and our own personal causes, right? And we could talk about all kinds of things. In the 80s, people co-opted Jesus as a business tycoon. Hmm. Uh, The social justice warrior movement co opts Jesus as one of theirs. Bernie Sanders, some people are saying he's just like Jesus. Hmm. We run into trouble if you start co-opting Jesus. Jesus for your own personal causes. So the sure. rule in Bible study is don't make Jesus ministry about something that is not at the core. Always stick with the core. Mm-hmm. Now, this guy mm-hmm. probably has a legitimate complaint. We've mentioned that this isn't saying God doesn't care about justice. It, the Bible's very clear. God cares about the orphan, the widow, the poor, the naked, the hungry. The Absolutely. Old Testament is full of laws that regulate things like ownership, money and theft. And you will remember when Jesus met Zacchaeus, he or how do you pronounce that name?
1: I've heard both, but, you know, I always say Zacchaeus. That's how I grew up saying it. Zacchaeus,
0: that's because you're weird. (laughs)
1: It's just because I'm weird. Not because I'm Canadian, nothing, just weird. Jesus met
0: with, well, remember what Jesus says to Zacchaeus, if you've stolen, I want you to pay back fourfold. So God does care about justice. But in this case, he also knows that this man is operating from the wrong perspective. This guy is setting himself up for a lifetime of discontent because he's got the wrong priority. Mm -hmm. And this is where a lot of people should probably sit up and take notice in this story because they've spent their entire lifetimes trying to obtain personal security. That's Mm -hmm. something we all crave. We all want security. We've been craving it ever since we left the Garden of Eden. Um, But you're never going to find the security we had in Eden on the outside of Eden, right? We spend our Mm -hmm. lifetime trying to build security, trying to build happiness, trying to solve this deep sense of discontent that we have, and we're trying to solve it with all the wrong things. So while it seems like Jesus is just trying to blow this guy off, he's actually doing him a huge favor. That shows Mm -hmm. up in verse 15. And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. Now that's serious ground, right? Now we're talking 10 commandment territory. 10 commandment forbids coveting. Beware of covetousness.
1: And coveting, of course, that's wanting something that isn't yours, right. wanting something that you didn't earn. Um, and it's interesting because, as you pointed out, this man was probably asking for something that was legitimately his. It was legally his. He was entitled to it. He wasn't trying to steal. He actually believed that it was
0: his. Right. Or I guess it's possible he really was trying to cheat and bring Jesus into something shady, but I that's saw. not the sense you get from reading the yeah. chapter. What Jesus is probably addressing here isn't this one single instance of him wanting his inheritance, right? Mm. This one single case of injustice. What Jesus is addressing is an underlying problem that this man has. He's got a core problem in his heart that makes him think, "Ooh, I'd be happier if I had more. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and that's one of the biggest deceptions this life has to offer. I'll be happier if I have more. Yeah, You know, it. there was a time in our lives when we had a lot less. And I can't say we were any unhappier than we are now. No. And you I, seem I, more unhappy I, as every <laughs> year goes by living with me. And you were so much no. happier when we were newlywed because you had all these dreams of what it would be.
1: Oh, honey. But, you, <laughs> no, you know... I, Joking aside, I think if you sat down with any couple at our stage of life, they would say the same thing. When you're young and you don't have anything, you're just as happy, if not happier, than you are at this stage of life. Definitely. Absolutely. It has
0: nothing to do with stuff. No. And one of the key problems with covetousness is that it demonstrates a profound lack of trust in God. One of the Mm -hmm. key reasons we want to accumulate more stuff is that we actually fail to believe that our Heavenly Father knows how to take care of us. And that's the big cha- picture that shows up in the rest of this story in Luke chapter 12. So okay. verse 15 again. He said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Uh, yeah. That verse is always yeah. Um, yeah. And after World War II and in the Western world, it really hurts because we, we fill storage lockers with stuff we never look at again the rest of our lives. Yeah. We've got stuff. Now, here's the core issue Jesus is pointing out. You are not the stuff you own. That's not mm-hmm. who you are. Mm-hmm. And we all know that's right in our heads intellectually, mm-hmm. but in our mm-hmm. hearts we struggle with this. Mm-hmm. The real value of a human being has nothing to do with what you own. Yeah. Absolutely nothing.
1: We know it intellectually, but I think we struggle with that in, in our affluent societies. It's tough. We tend to define ourselves by what we have. Um, so, Sean... Is that why James warns us not to treat the rich and the poor differently?
0: Well, it probably has a lot to do with it, right? That passage is found in James chapter 2. It's a stunning rebuke to the way we do church in the 21st century, mm. Here, at least here in the Western world and particularly in America. We can say all we want as Christians. Oh, we value all people equally. But in practice, we have this huge tendency in Christianity to cater to those who can keep us in business. All you have to do yeah. is watch the sad state of Western Christianity on TV. And what do we do? We tend to build ch- churches for the rich and famous and hold it out as proof that God is blessing us. Look how many rich and famous people are part of this church. But the Bible's abundantly clear. Human beings have the same value at the foot of the cross, right across the board. And your money is not a factor yeah. in the gospel. And yeah. the Bible says if we treat the wealthy as more valuable to the church, then we are violating clear godly principles.
1: Absolutely. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. But Sean, of course, I'm. what you're not saying is that God doesn't use wealthy people to advance his cause because right. he does, of right. course. Right. The opposite
0: side of that coin is that you start demonizing the wealthy, and that's no. the opposite side of the problem. Sure, There's no doubt about it. They say that between the two men, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, probably had enough money to pay the wages of everybody in the city of jerusalem for an entire decade yeah that's a lot of money and you don't find jesus saying to those two people give it all away he Mm -hmm. does do that with some people like the rich young ruler in mark chapter 10 but to nicodemus and joseph of arimathea he doesn't say i want you to give it all away and the fact that jesus responds to different people with different requests indicates that money isn't really the problem the heart is what he's addressing For the rich young ruler, the money was keeping him from actually surrendering completely to Christ, from walking away from everything and trusting God completely. For Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, that doesn't seem to be the case because not only did they have enough money to pay everybody's wages, they also happened to have enough money to help launch the whole New Testament church in the early Christian movement. So again, the real issue isn't the money. The real issue is the disposition of the human heart. What are your priorities? What is your life really all about? What means more to you? than anything else in the world yeah wow
1: so we have jesus saying in the sermon on the mount for where your treasure is there your heart will be also of course that's in matthew chapter six so this is really a matter of the heart it has has nothing to do with our wallets and how much is in there or how much isn't in there do you serve god in his kingdom or do you serve personal ambition? That's really what it comes down to, Yeah, I to, think isn't that's it. exactly
0: the issue. There's yeah. an old saying that if you show me your bank account, or in the old days we used to say, show me your checkbook. <laughs> Nobody has those really anymore. But oh, I still have one. You have a checkbook? <laughs> yeah. You do? Do you write checks?
1: Yeah, rarely. Yeah. Extremely rarely. Well,
0: show me your checkbook then. Or mm-hmm. show me your bank account. I'll tell you what kind of Christian you are. That's right. Right? Because where your treasure is, there's where your heart is. Mm-hmm. It's not the money we're talking about. It's what you're using your life to accomplish. Now, hear this principle out. If you think about money, what is it? Money is, and and you'll hear other people say this, use this term, it's not original with me, but money is congealed life.
1: I like that term. Yeah,
0: Yeah, the way the world works, I exchange my labor for something of equal value, hopefully. So I put in a 40, 50, 60-hour work week. And what I do if you're my employer is I'm giving you a percentage of my life. I'm giving that to you, and you give me wages in return. Mm -hmm. Those 40, 50, 60 hours have been congealed into money. That's what I traded my life for. Those dollars represent the portion of my life that I just gave away to help you meet your goals. Hmm. So what do I do with that money? The question is, what does God want me to do with my life? That should tell me what he wants me to do with congealed life or the money I exchange my life for. So there's a number of things the Bible says I'm supposed to do. Number one, support my family. A portion of that money goes to support my wife and children, Mm -hmm. because the Bible says in 1 Timothy 5, verse 8, if anyone does not provide for his own, Mm -hmm. and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith. He's worse than an unbeliever. So God says, if you're not using your life to support your family, whether you're exchanging that money to support them or, or putting the hours into that, I'm counting you an unbeliever because you're not listening to what I'm saying. So portion of my life is used to support my family. Another thing, portion of my time is used to make sure that I won't become a beggar or a freeloader now in the present, sponging off other people, or one day in the future. The Mm -hmm. book of Proverbs says in Proverbs 6, go to the ant, you sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. And what it's doing is pointing out that the ant lays up for the winter months Mm -hmm. and prepares for the future. So I know one day if the Lord doesn't come and I don't get taken out by an unfortunate accident, I'm going to get older and I won't be able to provide for my family with the same energy that I use today. So the Bible teaches preparing for the future is also a sound biblical principle. So God doesn't want me to be, you know, I don't want to sacrifice my freedom in the future. I don't want to be sponging off people in the future. I want to provide for my family now and then. And that's a significant portion of what we do with you know, we exchange our lives for money, so we take that money and we do the things God wants us to do. But Good there's so counsel. much more. What do you do after you support your family and prepare for the future? Well, the Bible has a lot to say about that, but I hear the music in my headphones. Yes. And that means that we're up against another break. And it, I'm telling you guys, if you pre- play another commercial in there with my cracky voice, you're all fired. You're all fired. So get your pen and paper out and see what. Um, what the voice of prophecy has to offer in this break. I see them scrambling to get a different commercial. Let's see what they do to me in this break. We're talking about money. You're listening to Disclosure, a brand new season here at the Voice of Prophecy. My name is Sean Boonstra, your host. My co-host today is Gene Boonstra, who actually controls all the money. And we'll be right back. (laughs)
2: Are you searching for answers to life's toughest questions like, Where is God when we suffer? Can I find real happiness? Or is there any hope for our chaotic world? The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home there is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. Find answers in guides like, Does my life really matter to God? and A second chance at life. You'll find answers to the things that matter most to you in each of the 26 Discover Bible Guides. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions.
0: you See what they did. Do you see what they did? They went and found a commercial that didn't even have my voice in it.
1: No, that was our own George Swanson, and he also has a what wonderful a voice. voice. Com- competes with Morgan Freeman, I think.
0: Well, he does. <laughs> He's actually got the voice that I wish I had oh, been born with. I love you. Well, no, you don't, want, you you don't want to be born with Morgan Freeman's voice. Can you imagine coming into this world and people are leaning over your crib? It's like, what a cute little baby. And then you say, hey. <laughs> <laughs> that's a little terrifying, yes. <laughs> hey, welcome to my nursery. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, right, we're talking. About Here. money, I just yes. thumped the. Can you guys hear that in the control room? If I thump the desk,
1: yeah, we can oh, hear they it. did hear that. Mm-hmm. All
0: right. Go ahead. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, uh, Sean, I love some of the things we've been talking about. Money is so important in our Christian life. Having a clear biblical understanding. You talked about the fact that money is congealed life. That's right. And that really um, some a lot of the biblical counsel on how we spend money, where we put our time, our funds, has to do with the heart, the issue of the heart, right. rather That's than really the issue of money about. itself. So your financial habits can be a really good indication of what matters most to a person is our heart really on the kingdom of god or or are our hearts tied to um self-preservation self-advancement those kind of things are we trying
0: to find our security in our creator are we trying to head back toward eden or are we building our own empire that's really what the kingdom of babel is all about i'm going to build my own i will be self-sufficient i'll build a tower to the highest Mm. This is the point of the story in Luke chapter 12. Jesus is telling this young man, be careful. Look, he says, you're building your life on the wrong things. If you think more stuff is going to make you happy, then you're in for a rude awakening the day your stuff disappears. Yeah, so true. Yeah, what this really is is a warning to build your life on things that matter. And Mm -hmm. Jesus is addressing the deepest need that we all have. We want our lives to mean something. So if you build your whole life on the pursuit of wealth, your life is going to become meaningless when your wealth disappears, and it will one day. Sure. If Mm -hmm. if you make your life about getting the applause of this world, oh, I want people to notice me, I want to be famous, then your life will be meaningless the day that applause dies down, because nobody in this world gets more than 15 minutes of fame. (laughs) You get even less than that in a YouTube world. Mm -hmm. It lasts a day, yeah. And the world that loves you one minute is going to hate you the next. It happened to Jesus, even Jesus, right? They're singing his praises on Palm Sunday. They're crucifying him yeah. days the later. Same,
1: same voices. Right. Yeah. If
0: you want your life to be about fame, if you want it to be about money, your life will become meaningless in a heartbeat. And I can't tell you how many people I talked to in 2008 after the financial meltdown. They'd lost everything, and because they'd wrapped their entire identity up in stuff, their life felt meaningless. Hmm. Um, It was a painful reminder. This is not what life is about. If you build your life on stuff that doesn't last, then you're in for massive disappointment when it comes time to cross the finish line, because on your deathbed, you don't get to keep any of that stuff.
2: Yeah. Wow.
1: And that's the whole point in the next story, the parable of the
0: rich man. Right. We've been promising to get there. I almost forgot. Verse 16 (laughs) of Luke chapter 12. Then he spoke. Jesus has just warned this young man, look, your life is more than what you own. He spoke a parable to them in verse 16 saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. Okay. Now That language, by the way, the ground of a certain rich man in Luke's gospel, that's the way you know you're dealing with a parable. There's a whole string of them in the middle of Luke's gospel.
2: Yeah.
0: All right, verse 17, he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? <laughs> so this guy has more than enough already, Right. but he wants to lay by more, I, I want more security. I'll make yeah, more yeah. security. So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. All right.
1: You know, um, Sean, this reminds me. Just on this, the weekend, you and I were driving from somewhere home, and we noticed they were building something um, in our town that we live in, in Loveland, Colorado, and it's another storage facility. Right. We have many of them in Loveland. So no, we're is not a, demonizing your real, storage facility. No, no, no If you no, would we're like not. us
0: to sponsor your storage facility, <laughs> send your check to Box Nine No, but but no, it's but true. It's we have more a, than it's we need. It's a
1: reflection of yeah. of where we are as a society. Absolutely. We have more than this, we need. this 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 parable is so applicable to today. So so what um, are the
0: issues that we're dealing dealing with in here? Well, a guy who has more than enough, right? He's Mm -hmm. building more storage lockers. He likes the feeling of having created himself a sense of security. And he thinks, man, if this feels good, twice as much is going to feel even better. Mm -hmm. So this isn't just a matter of preparing for the future, which is certainly appropriate. This is a matter of a self-sufficient heart. Ah. He wants to come to the point where he never has to worry again. And naturally, I think we all want that. I mean, who wants to worry? But he's finding the solution in his own efforts. Wow, I'm set for life. I have many goods laid up for many years. Now I can sit back and finally relax. Yeah, yeah. You
1: know, it makes me think of Nebuchadnezzar, um, Sean, that that story in the Bible where he's on the roof of his palace and he's walking around and he says, um, I think it's in Daniel chapter four, is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling, but my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty. It's this whole mindset of Babylon, this issue of self-sufficiency again. It comes out again in this story. Um, The idea that we can be meaningful, we can have meaning in our lives separate from God, apart from him. Um, That we can fix our own problems, we don't need God for that, that we can find security apart from God. Again, I love this all boils back down to the same problem, which is a problem with our heart, not with our finances. That's exactly right,
0: mm-hmm. right? One, our, our big problem in the Garden of Eden was that we stopped trusting God. He places us in this situation in the very beginning where he cares for everything, right? We don't lack. Right. We, we have all the food we need, the security we need, and then we chose to stop believing what God said. and We took life into our own hands and we tried to find purpose and meaning away from God. And with the matter of money and how a Christian relates to it, the real underlying issue is trust. Ah, yeah. Do we really believe God has our back? Do we really value a relationship with him more than anything else? Are we willing to turn everything over to God, our hearts, our minds, and even our bank accounts? Are we going to come to the point where we really trust him to run the world for us? Hmm. So here's what happens in Jesus' story, verse 20.
1: Okay, and we're in Luke chapter 12 still. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: But God said to him, fool. Now, we take that lightly, right? Mm -mm. That's where the A-team generation, Mr. T, always said, fool. But this is a very serious thing in biblical language. If somebody says fool, pay attention. Mm -hmm. This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? In other words, the time has now come for this guy to cross life's finish line. And that's something that's going to happen to all of us. So we have to ask ourselves, when it's all over and our body goes into the ground and our estate goes to probate, Hmm. what do you have left? What is the real legacy of your life? What did you do with the time God gave you on this earth? Did you just exchange it for money?
2: Hmm.
0: Because then what you did, if you exchanged your life for money, you put your whole life in a bank account and you never actually used it. That's what you did. You traded a whole lifetime, the most precious thing you own, for a number at the bottom of a balance sheet. That's what you traded your life for. And you could have used those resources to build the kingdom of God. You could have recognized that God actually owns your life. You could have given back to him. You could have built your life on the one and only thing that actually lasts forever, and that's the kingdom of Christ. Amen. But if all you have is a number on a bank statement, and there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself, don't get me wrong, but if that's all you have the day you die, What did you really do with your time? What did you trade your life
2: for? Hmm.
0: Look, money's a medium of exchange. You can exchange it for whatever you want, but God is daring you to exchange it for what he wants. Verse 21, Jesus said, So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now comes the hardest lesson of all, verse 22. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, Oh, this one's hard for me. Mm. (laughs) Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Mm. You see it? This is a trust thing. It's about trusting God. This is about going back to the Garden of Eden. God uses the circumstances of this life to teach us faith. Mm. And what he does is he gives us the work of leading people to Christ. Right? And it's impossible. That seems impossible. God says, look, take this message to those people out there, and all the demographic studies pour in. We live in a post-Christian, <laughs> post-modern society. Sure. It'll never work. Except that it does work, because the whole point was to teach us to live by faith. God says, share Jesus with the world. Watch people accept him. It, it's just to teach us faith. He doesn't need us for the work of the church. Mm-hmm. But it's a skill we're going to need in kingdom, uh, in, in the kingdom of God, because even in paradise, only God knows everything. We have to learn to trust him again, like we did in the Garden of Eden. And God says, look, I want to trust. I want you to trust me with your time, your talents, your resources. I want you to trust me with your living. I want you to do what is completely counterintuitive to your fallen, sinful nature. What you want to do with your life is to hoard it. What mm. I want you to do with your life is to give it away. Give it away. Right? Big difference. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, you know that passage. Yeah. Let this mind be in you, which was in?
1: Christ Jesus,
0: who being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. It teaches us that Jesus gave it all away. And what God says to the Christian is, look, I want you to give your life away like Jesus did,
1: Mm -hmm. because
0: I need you to see that I'm real. I want you to learn that you can actually trust me, that I'm your heavenly father and I've got your back. Besides, I want you to step away from all those lies out there. The priority system of fallen angels. Taking care of number one is never going to make you happy.
2: Yeah.
0: Listen to the words of Jesus, continuing in Luke 12, verse okay. 23. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Again, you're so much more than the stuff you own. Yeah. The way the world places value on people is dead wrong. You're a son, a daughter of the Most High God. Mm. He continues, verse 24, Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Again, he's saying, do you trust me? Or of how much more value are you than the birds? God is daring you to believe that you mean something, that you don't have to prove yourself in this world to win his love, that he doesn't care how much you have or don't have. He just cares about you, the the way you care about your kids. Hmm. Even though they can't do a thing for you except love you back those kids. Right, right? right. Especially in the very beginning. Now, (laughs) today I wish they would wash my car and mow the lawn. But (laughs) apart from that, the kids can't do anything. You love them. And that's what God's trying to get through to you.
2: Sure, yeah.
0: And I want you to listen to this. Here comes the cure for so much of the world's anxiety. So many people are laying awake at night panicking about life, wondering how they're going to make it. And God says, look, i got something so much better than a Valium. Hmm. So much better than a Lorazepam. I'm telling you, place your treasure here with me. I'll do the worrying. Verse 25, and which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Hmm. If you are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass, which today is in the field, tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith?
1: Wow, powerful verses. It seems to me, Sean, that one of the big problems that's addressed in this story is really our reluctance to believe that God cares about us. Um, We're so hesitant. Most of us come into this world to discover that we're on our own. Um, You know, we all have a wake-up call at some point. No one cares. No one's got your back. And you, you're on your own. We've all experienced that at some level, at some point. Um, It's an awful moment. It is. Yeah, it's awful. And and talking about your kids, you hope they don't have that for many years to come. (laughs) But we all have that at some point. Um, But instead, what God's saying is, no, that's not true. You have value because you belong to me. You don't have to conquer the world for me to love you. You don't have to take control of the world around you by using money um, with your purchasing power. Because I've got all the power in the universe, and you are my child. You belong to me. You know, I think those words, oh, you of little faith, I love that. It confirms what we've been saying. Um, The way that Christians relate to money has everything to do with faith, with faith and trust. The real principle behind Christian financial management is learning how to make God a priority, learning to trust him, and living in such a way that people know that God really is is really just by watching us
0: Uh, that's yeah you know Mm -hmm. imagine a world where millions of people actually value people more than they value things yeah imagine a world where we really prefer the well-being of others to looking out for number one imagine what that might say about god what would people see by watching people who have the right value system the number one complaint i hear from non-christians is they can't see jesus in the way we live Mm. we're very good when it comes to debating we like to prove that we're right theologically that the world is wrong and there's a place for Christian apologetics, but what the world needs to see in us is Jesus. Amen. And there's no arguing that one of the most stunning things about Jesus, one of the things that makes him so appealing is that he gave everything to save us. What if we lived like that? There's no questioning where Jesus' treasure was. The Bible says he went to the cross that for the joy that was set before him, and that means his treasure was people. And that needs to be our treasure. What would happen if the world could actually see that in Christians and we had heaven's priority system? I hear the music. We are out of time for today, and that means out of money, too. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us on Disclosure. We're going to come back. I think we'll go a little further into the topic of money in another episode, but we're so glad you joined us today. Until next time, I'm Sean Boonstra.